Hello, Saubona, how's it, Molo, Jumbo, and welcome to the Every Nation podcast. We hope this message will inspire you and draw you closer to Christ. Enjoy. Amen. Come on. So, you're welcome to take your seats this morning. Our theme for this uh, Easter period has been, may the lamb receive the reward of his suffering. And uh, yeah, and so that's kind of what we've been focusing on. And I want to carry that theme into today's message. And I've entitled this word this morning as worthy is the lamb. That's what we're going to be talking about. Before we get into the word. I grew up, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know about you, but one of the, the stories that I absolutely loved growing up was the story of King Arthur and Excalibur. Anybody know about King Arthur? Man, all right. I mean, the story is just so awesome. And it starts when the king of Britain dies, but he leaves no heir to his throne. And there's all these powerful lords and these powerful knights, and they're all contesting and cajoling for the throne. Who will get the throne? And at the same time, there appears the sword called Excalibur, and it's and it's wedged, it's driven into stone, mysteriously driven into stone. Nobody knows how. Maybe it was Merlin, we don't know. But there's the sword that's driven into stone, and the idea that it pervades is that whoever can pull the sword out of the stone will be king. But it has to be somebody who is worthy. And so all the, the knights who think they're worthy and all the high in authority come and they, and they try and pull the sword out and they tug and they give it everything they can and nobody can pull out the sword. No one is found worthy to pull out that sword. And the sword contains Power. It's like it's magical. Whoever wields it is going to crush armies with it. And, but there's nobody worthy to, to pull it out. And so there's this, there's this search and everybody's trying and the, not only the Lord's try, but then the commoners start trying and nobody can pull it out. And then there's this teenage boy called Arthur who comes. He never thought he could pull it out, but he comes and he grabs and he pulls out that sword and everybody gasps. That he is the worthy one. And from then on, he gets made king. And then we have the knights in the round table. And he goes into battle. And he, and, and he wins all these victorious battles and, and everything like that. And it's, a, and it's an amazing story. It's kind of similar to the Thor story. Maybe you, you guys know Marvel and Thor. All right. Thor gets a hammer from Odin. Do you know that? Mjolnir. Mjolnir or something like that. All right. Mjolnir. And, and he gets this hammer. But, but he can't use it. The hammer is only to be used by somebody who is worthy. And for most of Thor's early life, he's this reckless, self-indulgent, self-conceited, arrogant, youthful guy who's just like out there for himself. And unfortunately, he cannot wield the power of the hammer. But it's only when Thor is maybe matured a little bit And he gets to the place where he's willing to lay down his life for his people of Asgard. That suddenly now Mjolnir, the hammer, responds to him and comes to him. And he's able to use it and wield it in battle. And these stories that I'm sharing with you this morning, they they echo the story that we find in Revelation chapter 5. The biblical narrative of John's encounter with the throne room. 
In Revelation chapter 5, John is taken into the throne room and there is seat, God is seated on the throne and there are millions and millions of angels and there are 24 elders there and there's this incredible setting and scene and there's this powerful moment and John is there and he's witnessing it and the, the, the I like to think the cameras zoom in on the throne and in the hand of God is a scroll with seven seals on it and it's written inside and out and then there goes out this, there goes this, and you look, just look at the scroll, and you can just see that this thing is powerful. It's like, you look at the hammer, you look at the sword, you just know that there's something more to it than just what meets the eyes. There's this, this, this power in the scroll. And then the cry goes out in heaven that says, who is worthy to open the scroll? And the search starts. A search in heaven begins. There's a search in heaven, everybody, millions and millions of angels and witnesses and elders and all these noble people. I mean, come on, heaven's full of noble people, right? All these people of great stature who've done great things with their lives or powerful angels. And there's no one in heaven who is found worthy to open the scroll. And so a search starts on earth. Looking for all mankind, going through nations, tribes, through tongues, and, and, and who is worthy? Is there a human being? Is there somebody here on earth who is worthy to open the scroll? And nobody on earth is found worthy. So they go under the earth, and they don't have to look too long there. <laughs> they kind of know, but they checked anyway, <laughs> just to make 100% sure. <laughs> no one was found worthy. <laughs> and John, who's witnessing this, and he's seeing the scroll, and this scroll, I want you to know, is the destiny. It's like the title deed to earth. That's what the scroll is. It's, it's, the, it's the destiny of earth. It is God's purpose for the earth that's all wrapped up in the scroll. And John starts to weep and lament because nobody is found worthy. Nobody can come and take the destiny of earth. Nobody can come and take the title deed of earth and sort out the problems on earth. So earth is going to be bound in sin and there's going to be this, you know, chaos on earth and, and evil is going to be rampant on earth and, and everything that we experience on earth, this big mess of this, what we've done on this planet is just going to continue and continue unless there's somebody who can come and take the title deed of earth and open the seven seals, the judgments of God and take earth into its destiny. And so John is weeping that nobody can take this. And then one of the elders comes to John and says, John, do not weep. There is one from the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He is worthy to open the scroll. And in this moment, enter into this throne room environment. You, we, we, we hear the lion of, of the tribe of Judah is worthy. And then suddenly a lamb Enters A lamb that was slain but is still alive. So we see the lion and we see the lamb and we know this is the picture of Jesus. Jesus enters into the throne room and he walks up to the throne of God. And he takes the title deed of earth. He takes it into his hands. The destiny of earth. He takes it just like out of the hand of God. Can you, just, can you imagine the hand of God? Like, would you just go get anything out of the hand of God? I mean, think about that. Like, you, we, you just can't even approach that throne. 
He walks up to the throne of God. And he takes out of the hand of God the scroll. And in that moment, heaven erupts with praise. I mean, it's just like everybody's on the floor. People are throwing down their crowns. It's like worthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. This chorus erupts of millions of angels. And it's just like earth is going to be saved. And there is someone who is worthy who can do it. And there's this celebration moment that takes place. And as I was just pondering that scripture, my thoughts for us on this Resurrection Sunday is this. If you are a scroll packed with potential and gifts and talents, who is worthy to open you and use those gifts and talents? And if you are a weapon of great force and great destiny and great impact in the earth, which I believe you are, who is worthy to wield you and command you and use you in the nations. Interesting thought. Do you know that every single day we give ourselves, we give our time, we give our affection, we give our resources, we give our pleasure, we give our enjoyment, we give, we give of ourselves to things that we think are worthy of it, whether we do it consciously or unconsciously. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. You look for movies, which one is worthy of my time and enjoyment? (laughs) You go shopping for clothes, which ones are worthy of my money? You go uh, to the mall looking for the, which ones are worthy of the hard-earned cash that I've earned? You look for jobs. Which job is worthy of my energy, my labor, my sacrifice? You, you, and the question we have to ask ourselves at the end of our days is this. Of all the things we gave ourselves to, were they worthy? Were they worthy? You know, I read the statistic this week that said that the average person will spend nine Years of their life, not days, months, nine years of their life watching TV. The average person. And the question we have to ask is this. Is TV so worthy that we would give the image of God to it for that amount of time and energy? What are the things that we are giving ourselves to? And are they worthy of us? Are they worthy of the the image of God and the gifts and the talents that God has given to us? There's a sticking with DC and Marvel, all right? (laughs) There's this moment in Wonder Woman. Yes, I watched Wonder Woman. And yes, I enjoyed it. I'm married to Wonder Woman, all right? (laughs) Did you just tell them I I watched it twice? Yeah. (laughs) There's this moment in Wonder Woman, my wife told me, where (laughs) where there's this man, this human guy who who crashes on their island, finds their island where Wonder Woman is. And this is the first time she's seen a man, all right? And uh, it's, it's an interesting encounter. But anyway, there's this moment where he meets her and she meets him and he's looking for his clothes and he's looking... For his watch, and he finds 
his watch, and she's like, what is that? And he said, this is a, this is a watch. It tells you when to eat, when to sleep, when to wake up, when to go to work, you know. And she said, wow, you let that little thing tell you what to do. <laughs> and my question to us this morning is this. What are the little things that we have given ourselves to over and above the King of Kings? Let's pray before we go into the word. Father in heaven, we commit this time to you. We believe that your plans for us are good, but that everything good starts with your word. Your word brings life. It brings healing and direction. And so we treasure your word more than our daily bread. So we boldly confess our minds are alert, our hearts are receptive, and we say, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. Amen. Can you join me in Song of Songs this morning? We're going to go to, yes, sticking with Wonder Woman and everything. <laughs> Song of Songs, chapter 2. Um, after Psalms, you have Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, and then you have Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, as it's also called. We're going to go to chapter 2. And a lot of people wonder, like, why is this book in the Bible? How many of you wondered that? You know, this is like, some of these, this is like X-rated material, a lot of the stuff, you know? And, uh, and, and you know, like, why is this there? What is, what is going on in this passage? But, I mean, the, the short of it is this. The reason why it's there is because it's an allegory of God's love for us. That's what it is, all right? And I want us to know this morning... That we have been caught up in a love story. Men, maybe you don't like that this morning. Maybe you'd rather be in an action movie or something like that. But I, I, you know, I want you to know that you're, you're caught up in a love story. Let's read verse 15 and part A of 16. It says, catch all the little foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love. For the grapevines are blossoming. My lover is mine and I am his. We'll pause there. The story of scripture is this. Is a God who loves mankind. Like just, I don't know how you feel about human beings right now. Maybe even the people in this room. Okay. Forget the people even out the room. But I want you to know that he is a lover of mankind. Every race, every culture, every generation, he, he loves mankind. And it's not just like a, a feelings-based kind of love. It's a covenant love. And he wants to, when we look at scripture, he wants to be married to mankind. And everything that is working here on earth, all of his work, is he wants to bring it to a consummation moment where there's going to be a wedding celebration at the end of the age. I just think about this this morning, that the destiny of the people of God is not a graduation ceremony. Amen, graduates. We love graduations, all right? It is, and they're a great celebration. And it, but I want you to know, when earth is finished, we're not going to a graduation ceremony. We are going to a wedding. Oh, cool. Who's getting married? You are. 
<laughs> That's what's happening here. Alright, in Revelation 19, what we see is this end of the age where there's this marriage of the Lamb. And so, everything Jesus is trying to communicate to us is, I'm preparing you for marriage. Okay? So just, it's important that we, we get into His mind and understand His intentions this morning. In Jeremiah 31 verse 3, it says, Long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you. My people, with an everlasting love, with unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. I want you to notice that he doesn't say in this passage, with courage, or because I have a good purpose in mind for you, or what is his motivating factor here? When he looks at you, what does he think? What is he going? He's looking. He's his motivation towards you is love, and we see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus came, and in John seventeen, he prays to the Father, and he's like, Lord, "Father, I have loved them with the love that you have given me. May the love that we have be in them also." Like the ultimate of what Jesus came to do was, "I have come to love." Them. That's what I've come. And to show you the love of the Father. That was his purpose in life. To take Father's love and demonstrate it to mankind. And not so much as in, in the cross. That in the cross what we see is the depths to which Jesus is willing to go to demonstrate how much he loves you. I mean, come on, guys, don't we love those action movies where, you know, the hero's wife gets kidnapped or his kids get kidnapped and by the bad guys. And then he goes on this rampage and he's like, he's just, he's destroying every villain. He's taking every bullet. He's taking pain. He's enduring. He's sweating. He's doing whatever he can. He gets his bride back. He gets his kids back, you know, and they're in his arms. And we're like, we all celebrate. I want you to know that is the gospel message. That is the gospel message that mankind got lost in sin and God came on a rescue mission to have us back unto himself. As the song goes, there's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, no lie you won't tear down coming after me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. And still you give yourself in this way. I don't know what your picture of God is this morning, but I want you to know that for you to be saved and here in church, there was a battle. Somebody had to kick down some doors. Some lies had to be teared down. Some mountains had to be brought low. Some valleys had to be lifted up. There's some dead things had to come alive. Some enemies had to get their kicked. All right. We're talking about there was battle for you. And we're not talking about a, a king who just sits up there and goes, okay, go get them. He's down there on the ground, sweating blood, demonstrating to you how much he loves you. We have a zealous God, a jealous God. He fights for us. He demonstrates love for us and he chases us down. Do you think you can run away from him? Think again. 
<laughs> Think again. You can't outrun him. You can't hide away from him. This is, we're talking about a love, a crazy kind of love, a reckless kind of love. So what does he want? What is this lover of our souls who keeps knocking on the door of our hearts? What does he want from us? Does he want us just to go to church, to read our Bibles, to be nicer people? If we're thinking like that, we've totally missed the entire story. Imagine for me, like just with me, a guy who's just besotted for a girl. We have a few of those, yeah. <laughs> There's this guy, and he is besotted with this girl. And like, she's just like, mm-hmm. You know, I'm not interested. And he keeps trying, and he's moaning, and Valentine's Day he's there. And then he's like, you know, carrying things for her, and he's serving her. And, he's, and it goes on from weeks, it goes on for months. And it's just like, there's no mountain too high for this guy. He's not giving up. He keeps going on. He keeps knocking on, he keeps inviting. He's like wearing his bed. I mean, he's just like, he's pursuing this girl. He's pursuing this girl. Now imagine for me, in the, for a moment, that in like finally this girl goes, you know what? Fine. I'll marry you. But please, can we just draw up a list of chores and responsibilities? Because if you think I'm going to cook for you every night, you've got another thing coming. (laughs) She's totally missed it, right? She's totally missed it, right? Is she worthy of such great love? (laughs) Do we not do the same? When we boil down the Christian life to what must I do, what are my chores, and what are my responsibilities, and we miss the love story and the chase and the pursuit of our shepherd king and how he came after us and chose, he chose us, we didn't choose him, and he died for us even while we were still sinners, demonstrating how much he loved for us. Let's not take our walk with God, saints. And boil it down to just like, hey, I need to have a quiet time. Oh, I need to do that. Oh, I need to go. That's, those, those things are, are nothing in comparison to, to what he wants from us. What does he want from He wants our love in the same way that he gives his love. That's what he's looking for. We sing that song, Jesus, lover of my soul. And indeed, he is the lover of our soul Are we the lover of his soul? This is what our scripture says to us this morning. It says, my lover is mine and I am his. This is what Jesus wants from you. Jesus is not some distant savior. He's not some guy who died on a cross for you. He's not some, you know, removed like person from you. He is yours, Jesus. He meets you in a personal way. He he wants a personal, deep, and intimate relationship with you where you turn around and you say, my lover is mine and I am his. In other words, I have received his love in the way that he has given it. I understand it I'm, and I respond by giving my love in the same way he gave his. He laid down his life for me, so I laid down my life for him. He didn't hold on to position 
or place in heaven. So I don't hold on to position or comfort for him. He remained pure and true and righteous against every temptation for me. So that he could be my righteous savior. So I purify myself and remain true and righteous for him. He suffered for me. I'm willing to suffer for him. Saints, this is the gospel we've been invited into. Let's not make it anything lower than that. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, it says, this is it. Look at this. He sacrificed himself for us that he might purchase. Can you say purchase? Buy our freedom, redeem our freedom from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people who what? Are his very own, passionate to do what is beautiful in his eyes. Don't you love the TPT sometimes? He, he, did the, he went through the cross, not so that you could be a Christian. Hear me now. He went through the cross so that you could be a person who belongs to him. That you would belong to him. And that you would be passionate about doing what is beautiful in his eyes. I want to ask you this morning, who owns you? Who wields you? Who commands you? Is it the diary? Is it the job? Is it the fantasy you have in your mind of what best kind of life you can live? Or is it Christ, the Lord, the risen Savior? Who is worthy to open you? Who is worthy to wield you all your days? Are you passionate to do what is beautiful in his eyes? I was watching a video. I follow a a certain missionary organization that is an amazing organization. And a lot of what they do is reaching unreached people. And there's this one missionary who's just this incredible guy called Paul Snyder. And um, for the last 10 years or more, he's been giving his life to the people, a lost people group, a, a, a tribe in Indonesia, in Papua, Indonesia. And living in the jungle, reaching people who have never heard of Jesus, who have never ever had a chance to hear about Jesus since 2,000 years. Nobody has gone there with the gospel. And he's going there and he moves there with his family and his wife. And they're in the jungle and they're reaching people and they're making disciples for Jesus. And they've started a school there and they're training others who are now reaching other tribes. And God is doing a wonderful work in that tribe and amazing things happen. But while he's been there, he's had multiple bouts of malaria, jungle diseases and fevers and all sorts of things. And more recently, he contracted a disease that almost paralyzed him completely uh, to the point where he literally, I mean, obviously he had to go back to America and receive medical attention. He couldn't speak, couldn't walk, had no power, couldn't even swallow. Um, all these muscles had contracted and he's gone through a process of healing and, and, and restoring his body for two years. And he's back on a plane to the jungle. And the person who's filming the video asks, why are you going back? And he says these words. He says, because Jesus is worthy. 
when I heard that, I was like, wow. Is Jesus worthy? Is he worthy? And if he is, what is he, what is he worthy of? The answer has to be, when you look at Scripture, everything. Everything. How much is too much for Jesus? What is too radical for Jesus? What is just like, oh, that's too, you're being too radical now. What is too zealous for Jesus? Where do we draw the line in terms of what we give to Jesus? Is bond slave too excessive? Like now we're just becoming, you know, those, those kind of Christians. Not according to the Apostle Paul. He said, I am his bond slave. I'm his love slave. I'm free to do anything I can't want with my life, but I choose to lay it down for whatever is beautiful in his eyes. How worthy is the lamb? Paul Snyder said this. He said, he is everything. You can't know him too well. You can't love him too much. You can't think about him too often. He is everything and everything is in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want a life like that. You know, I, I don't want to play church and, and be a nice person and, you know, just kind of get by with whatever the status quo is of like, okay, you're, you're a good person, you know. I think we need to just abandon that way of thinking. And, and we need to come back to the place where we really look at this lover of our souls. And we really look at the love with which he's loved us and ask ourselves the question, will we love him back the way he loved us? Back to our scripture, Song of Songs. It says, catch all the little foxes. Can you say that? All those little foxes. Catch all the foxes, those little foxes before what? They ruin the vineyard of love, for the grapevines are blossoming. What is the vineyard of love spoken about in this passage? It is my pure dedication to Christ in the way that he is dedicated to me. It is me holding him as preeminent in my life, my one, my only my Lord. It is the secret sacrifices that I make to be with him. It's the moments I steal to enjoy his presence. It's all the good fruits that I do out of my love for him, not out of religion, not out of because the church asked me, not out of anything other but because I love him. My passion is to do what is beautiful in his eyes. That is the vineyard of love. So then the question is, well, what are these little foxes? (laughs) They are the little things that take us away from him. The little doubts that we have that we allow to fester in our souls. The incorrect images that we have of him and the gospel. And everything that he defines. It's all the little things that we give ourselves to over and above him. The sins that we take pleasure in. The preoccupation we have with our own independent life. And living our best life now. These are the little foxes. And what must we do with them? Catch them. 
catch them. Let them not ruin our love for him. Saints, I want to encourage you this morning. Go and catch the little foxes in your life. Do not let your vineyard of love for the Lord be ruined by all the meaningless, trivial things that can so often and so easily fill up our lives. I want to challenge you to come back to a place where he is preeminent in your life. We started this message by looking at how heaven reacted to the worthiness of Christ. He is the one who's worthy to open the seal. I want to conclude today's message with time to selah on how we should react to Jesus. We've seen how heaven reacts. What does heaven do? The question is, how do we react to the same beautiful Lord? And what I want to do this morning is leave you with a moment to selah. You know what selah means? Pause. Stop. Think deeply. And I want to give you three questions while we listen to a song. And the three questions are these. Number one, what is he worthy of to you? Number two, what are you passionately doing that is beautiful in his eyes? And number three, what are your little foxes that keep ruining this love, this passion for this amazing savior that we should have? If you guys wouldn't mind playing that song, and I'd like you just to take a moment and think on those questions, and then I'm going to ask the lambs to wrap. Thank you for tuning in. For more messages like these and other resources, you can visit our website at endurban.org. Remember to subscribe to our podcast channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Be blessed.